What's good, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Amatella Katia's podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Saturday, April the 12th, or excuse me, April the 2nd, I don't know where I got 12th from, the year 2022, lots to do, lots to talk about here on this first show of the month of April, Final Four, of course, is this weekend, we will preview and get into that here at the top. Uh, give my two cents on Bruce Arians deciding to step aside and heading to the front office and Todd Bowles taking his place as a head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bobby Wagner remains in the NFC West going to the Seahawks arch nemesis in the Los Angeles Rams on a big time brand new contract. We'll get into that and we will also get into, uh, if you care, uh, Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. Who are already uh, beaten up, and we and we're less than a week. We're about five five days or so away from uh, opening day 2022, and already the New York Mets, who can't seem to catch a damn break. It doesn't matter if it's ownership change. You get a new manager, Buck Showalter. They spend money. Doesn't matter. It seems like for whatever the reason, the, the Mets are just snake bitten with uh, with bad luck, and and it couldn't come to you know their two best players on the team. With uh, Jacob Degrom and uh, Max Scherzer in the starting pitching, we'll get into that a little bit later on in the program. But where we will begin is with uh, college basketball, and it is as we cap off "quote unquote" March Madness in the NC and the men's NCAA. A tournament capping off with the Final Four here on Saturday, and of course the national championship uh, come Monday, come Monday night down in New Orleans at the uh, now newly named, uh, formerly known as the New or- as the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, now known as the uh, Caesars, as in the Caesars Sportsbook, the Caesars Gambling Company, the Caesars Superdome down there in uh, New Orleans. Uh, between you got the Villanova Wildcats and the Kansas Jayhawks going up against the North Carolina Tar Heels, and the Duke Blue Devils. Before I get into the game, there's just a couple things I want to get off my chest. They don't have to do with the games themselves that I just want to uh, get on the board here at the top. First off, uh, first off, the the Final Four should be on CBS. I uh, Listen, I understand that, uh, that CBS kind of... You know they 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 gave up they gave up that freedom that they had where you know they get to be the outside of ESPN where they get to be you know outside of ESPN and a little bit of FS1 and Fox CBS is uh, one of the and has been the primary home for for men's college basketball since 1982 since 1982. Think about that for a second. For 40 years, CBS has uh, been airing NCAA Division One men's college basketball games. For 40 years, they've 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 been involved with NCAA men's basketball, and more specifically, uh, the NCAA tournament, the Final Four, and the national championship game. I understand. In 2011, that they uh, that they made a deal together with the folks at, at Warner Media down down at uh, with Turner, so they can have all the games showing in their entirety on separate little 
on separate broadcasts on different networks so they don't have to don't have to deal with the cutaways and and having you know certain games regionalized in only markets, which and and if I was watching now, I understand that it, that they were doing it well into my lifetime. Uh, but if I was you know knee deep in college basketball as as a nineteen twenty year old as I was say ten years ago, uh, it you know well not even ten years ago as I was probably thirteen years ago, it you know it probably drive me crazy with cutting the games all with cutting across from different games and not being able to see them and so that would have drove me crazy and I do like the fact that they uh, that they that they that they uh, take advantage well, that they partnered with uh, Turner to make sure that all the games are shown you know during the NCAA tournament especially in the first and in the second rounds all at the same time but what I think and they I believe they did they started doing this as recently as 2016 if I'm not mistaken um, where they where they got Turner in the mix for them to have the final four in the national championship game that that in my that in my honest opinion is what they should do away with now whether they will whether they do or don't i have no idea but they, in my honest opinion, now now it's not like that tbs get this not like that tbs gets it every year they alternate on odd years cbs has it and on even years tbs has it but in my in my honest sincere humble opinion you know they 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 they, they the 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 final four, the final four, where there two st- there's only two games, two standalone back-to-back same-day national championship. Those games should be on CBS because because CBS because CBS has a like I said they've been broadcasting NCAA men's college basketball since since 1982. They've been they've been they've been at it in it the longest and throughout the regular season, pretty much after the the Saturday after the Army Navy game, which is the de facto season finale for the college basketball slash SEC football on uh, on CBS after the SEC championship game and the Army Na- in the Army Navy game, CBS fills up their Saturday their Saturday afternoon uh, programming during the month of December, January, February, and even and even with the uh, with the Big Ten uh, with the Big Ten tournament with with uh, with regular season college basketball. So they're in it from be- so they are in the muck and mire. Uh, from beginning to end, not to mention again they've had not to mention again that they've had the partnership with broadcasting with broadcasting the NCAA tournament since since 1982. I and I, I understand that they you know, they want to throw them a bone to TBS, but it's like the game's got to be on CBS. I mean, I'm sorry, they have to be they have to be on CBS. A because CBS CBS is a is a household television name. It's been on T, it's been on TV. Matter of fact, since why don't we look it up just for kicks and giggles? How long CBS CBS the television network has been on the air since 1941. It's been on it's it's been as a as a TV network, not as radio, but as a TV network. It's been on the air since 1941. The big three networks back in the day, if you're old enough, what was it? CBS, ABC, NBC. CBS. 
people have seen. If you're a golf fan, you you know where CBS is, and you with the Masters and the PJ Tour. Obviously, everybody in the mothers an NFL fan. Everybody knows where CBS is, especially if you're a football fan. If you're a college basketball fan, you know where you you obviously know where CBS is. If you love college football, you know where CBS is. Watching Alabama each and every week during the during the fall and early winter. And if you're a uh, and if you you know and if you watch sixty minutes and see the answer, everybody knows where CBS is. Whether you watch the the show with Nate Burleson in the morning, sixty minutes, the FBI shows, NCIS, everybody in the mother knows where CBS is. Only a small majority of people know where. Now it's not obscure like True TV is, but unless um, but unless you're a baseball fan. You don't watch TBS regularly like that unless you want to watch, you know, reruns of Family Guy, Bob's Burgers, and Friends. It's it's cable. It's TBS. It's it's not CBS, ABC, NBC, or Fox to a certain degree. It's TBS. It's cable. They air reruns of movies, TV shows, that's it. They They don't broadcast the news. They don't, no, no. So it should be on CBS because CBS is a bigger brand. They they're 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 they got a longer legacy and they got a longer legacy with the NCAA with broadcasting college basketball than the Turner Networks do. And you went from 1982 to 2010 with broadcasting your national championships on uh, well a little longer than that, but broadcasting but from 2000 and. Uh, when was the year they first started? The year they first started doing it, um, I believe from 1982 to 2015. I believe is the consecutive years in which you had your national championship game air on CBS. It should air on CBS, especially this year's tournament because all because you got you got the blue bloods in there, Villanova. North Carolina, Duke, Kansas. You got the blue blood, so they're going to draw ratings. And especially because it's North Carolina, Duke, in the Final Four, first time in the history of the first two programs, in these, in these two programs' history, in this rivalry, play each other hundreds of times, first time that they've ever matched up in the NCAA tournament, and the last time in Coach K's career at Duke in his 42-year history, with it being Coach K's Final Four, and final time going up against North Carolina, it it's got it's got to be if the if tonight's game between Duke and North Carolina was on CBS it would draw not big but humongous ratings humongous and it's going and they're going to get a good rating anyway because again final four coach K Duke North Carolina but if the game was on CBS Let's say, let's say for a perfect example that the that this was the final that uh, that this was the final was the final four game instead of uh, you know Baylor and Houston that was on CBS last year. I mean, ratings bonanza. So the rating for that game is going to is going to get a huge hit. It's going to take a huge hit because it's on because it's on uh, TBS instead of CBS. 
and it should be on CBS in a Final Four National Championship itself. Again, if you want to air the first four, the first, second round, Sweet 16, if you want to air those games on C- on TBS, TNT, in the first four, in the first round on True TV, have at it. Got no, got no issues, got no problems, no objection to it. But CBS, which which is that which has been a partner since '82, that broadcast regular season basketball from early December all the way up until through March. They gotta be there, especially when you've had the Final Four national championship games on their airing on their airways for the longest time. They have got to do the Final Four national championship game each and every single year. You know, it's like, you know what it's like. It's like the it's like the end. It's like uh, it's like uh, the NBA fine. It's like the NBA playoffs when uh, you know TNT decides to throw a bone at CBS and get them involved to broadcast the NBA play to broadcast the NBA playoffs and 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 TNT, which has done the NBA for the longest time, got a long term relationship with them that broadcast the games from mid October all throughout the early early spring and into the early summer. All of a sudden, they stick the conference final games on CBS. Now, they draw a better rating, but you get the idea. It's it's about it's about loyalty and being good to the original network. There, there's no college basketball games on the Turner networks until March Madness. CBS on December thirteenth or December uh, or December twenty first. There's a game on Janu- January twenty uh, second. Prior to Bengals and Titans. There's a college basketball game on. So, that's just me. The the games, the Final Four and the National Championship game at all times have got to be on CBS. Or, if you really insist, it was in 2016, it was in uh, 2016 where they... uh, where they alternate, where they uh, alternated the uh, you know the final four in the championship game. So from nineteen eighty two to two thousand fifteen. But my point is, my point is is the same. Even if you want to be nice and throw TBS slash Turner a bone, this is what you do: one final four game. Now it would be a little bit of a pain in the ass because you got to because instead of just sticking with the one channel for the four for the four or five hours, you know, you, oh by the way, this game's going to fl- flip your uh, TV channel to to X station, you know, to, for the next game. So I understand that, but but if if you want if you insist on having TBS involved in the final four, here's what you do: you you you, you alternate it, you alternate it. One game go the the first game goes on TBS, the primetime game on CBS, national championship game on CBS. So for a perfect example, the first game, Villanova, Kansas, TBS, the uh, the second game, Duke and um, Duke and North Carolina on CBS, national championship game, CBS. If they don't want to go back to giving the Final Four national championship game to CBS, that would be my option. Put the put the championship game on CBS because you're going to get a higher rating. It'll be better for business, and you'll get a better rating if you if you want to stick the games at nine o'clock at nine, which I hate. But if you want to do that, so be it. But put the game on CBS. You get a higher rating. A national, put a national championship game on CBS. And you will on TBS. And if you insist on making sure that TBS is involved in the whole Final Four. Uh, sort of landscape, 
you, you you got two games. You put you put the you put the, uh, the the first game on TBS. You put the final game on CBS. Both networks get the exposure. You basically get the compare and contrast with the rating. Simple. And the other thing that's going to drive me crazy with the Final Four is the fact that, and I, listen, I understand why they I understand why they do it. It's because of the fact that that it's that it's a big event. You know, it's the. Uh, it's 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 the you know you got only three more games left of the of the college basketball season and and it's a huge crowd and it's you know it's the beginning of the month of April and it kind of ties and it and it, and it ties the uh, the and it ties the bow on the basket on the college basketball season and you look forward to spring so I understand why they do it and all eyes going to be on it because it's because it's the uh, the coup de gras to the NCAA tournament, but but for the love of God, they gotta stop putting the Final Four. I understand, you know, for for box office and uh, and to see the sideline of the huge crowd and have the uh, and and to see and the and the, and the sight on TV, seeing the stadium uh, packed to the gills. But they got they gotta stop putting putting the Final Fours uh, in these indoor in these indoor uh, football stadiums in these indoor NFL stadiums. I mean, they just they 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 got they gotta stop doing it for a couple of reasons. One, one, I think it's a and it doesn't get talked about enough. I think it's a severe safety hazard on the on the, it's a severe safety hazard because if you watch if you watch it and you see it, the 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 floor the court itself is not laid down flat. On, on the on the flat on on a flat on a flat surface like in, in like in regular arenas where it's laid flat if it's you know if, if you're playing in an arena that you know there's a hockey team a la say the target center Madison Square Garden uh the Staples Center wherever if you in one of those multi-purpose arenas that house a NHL and NBA team you know the the hardwood is 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 on top of the ice or even in places where it's a hockey arena, but they put a basketball court there for March Madness, and they, you know, like uh, like uh, when they played the first two rounds in Pittsburgh at the PPG uh, Paints Arena where the Penguins play, they put they put the hardwood over the uh, over the uh, home ice for for the uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And if you know, you know, it's a regular and it's a regular looking basketball arena type feel. You know where it's not everything's not all spaced out. Not everything looks all kooky. You know it's it, it's 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 a, you know you come out of the you come out of the tunnel, come out of the locker room, quick little jog onto the you know you got that little carpet space, and then it's right there, boom, right onto the floor. Onto the floor. With the final fours, what you'll notice is that a it's a long a it's a long ass walk. If you if you see, and I saw it earlier today on social media. Uh, where where the teams that are coming out of the locker rooms, they're coming out of the tunnel, out of the locker rooms, and essentially walking to about, I want to say, the 35, 40-ish yard line, walk up, uh, walk up the stairs, and then the court is right there, which, which I am, am completely against. Because hey, I don't understand. Okay, fine. You want to put the if you want to uh, put uh, put the court 
If you want to put the, if you want to have the Final Four in a football stadium, fine. But why not just lay? Why not just lay the hardwood just just flat, like on on the uh, on the playing surface? You know, ash. You know, field field. You know, field turf. The little you know the concrete base, and then the hardwood. I understand. I don't understand why you gotta like build a stage as if as if the stones are about to come in or or, or Bruce or or Beyonce or is gonna gonna come in the building. You gotta build up a stage to where in order for you to get onto the playing court, you gotta walk up a couple of stairs and all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting there on that three foot contraption of standing above uh standing above ground level playing basketball. To where if you to where if you see when you watch during the games where the where the, where the team's benches are are essentially you know underneath are sitting like right underneath the court and the coaches can't even like sit on the actual like seats along the bench they got a freaking bar stool sitting there uh, on top of the court for that so if whenever they want to sit they sit in the bar stool but but you know instead of having to sit along those benches essentially sitting underneath the court and the scores and you can't you know then the little scores table that they have there on the side it doesn't look normal it's 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 laying practically damn near flat you you can't even read the little signage that they have on the scores table and you know god forbid a player has to, a player's running after a loose ball and just trying to chase it to save it from going out of bounds and they go flying 50 feet in the air off the off the essential quote unquote stage onto you know, into the opposing bench, into the scores table, onto the onto the little broadcast table. I forget what year it was, uh, where where um, and I forget the player, but they ran off. The, but they, I think it was at the 2017 Final Four in Glendale, where they where the player ran off the court chasing after a loose ball, ran into the broadcast table and broke Bill Raftery's glasses. I mean, that's I mean that's a tremendous safety. I mean, these guys have been trying to bust their ass, trying to either get to or win a national championship, and they got to worry about if they take one too one too many steps or if they go at a too fast of a speed chasing after a loose ball. They got to worry about a three four foot drop you know off the freaking playing surface for them to fall flat on their ass and god forbid either break something break a bone in their body dislocate something twist something or or break some or break somebody's computer and, and cause a huge hold up and, and and make a huge mess along the, the floor of the uh of the superdome so it's just, I, I I don't like it. I, I screamed and yelled about it. I was on Joy Taylor's uh, Twitter Spaces on uh, Thursday on Thursday night. It, it that stuff drives me crazy. I can't stand it watching on watching you know the, the you know the final four the national championship game. I I can't stand watch it being played on being played essentially upon a stage as if I'm, as if I'm about to watch a concert. I mean, I, with with the with the scores table looking all funky on the side, and the fact that that the players essentially got to walk up the steps in order to get on the, I I I, I can't stand it. It's 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 poor sight. It's poor sight visuals. I I, I guarantee you also the play the players' depth perception is probably thrown off. Uh, the, the 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 depth perception is thrown off. Not to mention, I guarantee you, the poor bastard that's sitting up in the upper deck. 
that, uh, that you know, that, that had to go to the Final Four. That's essentially saying right below the New Orleans Saints 2009 Super Bowl 44 championship banner. You know, you probably can't see a damn thing. The basketball is going to be at about the size of a, about, about the, remember when you were a kid, you ran, you read uh, Horton, Here's a Who? The basketball is going to be about the size of the freaking speck that was in that book. You won't be able to see it. I mean, again, I understand they want the atmosphere to look good and, and got all oh, 70,000 people packed in the one van to watch a college basketball game. But it's, it's, but it's, it's a tacky, it's, it's just not a good visual look. It's tacky, and it's just, and I, I just don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like the idea that they got it, that the that the that the floor isn't laid flat. They got to build it upon a damn stage, and I don't like the fact that you know you're you're packing you know a basketball court. You put a basketball court on a football field, you really get you really see how small a basketball court is, and it serves yourself no purpose for you know for for the person sitting in the upper deck that was dumb enough to buy a ticket to go to the final four, and he can't and he's look and he's looking down upon everybody, he can't see a damn thing. I mean, it's just, it's it's just, it's stupid. It's it's stupid and it's uh, and it's unnecessary. It is. It's just, it's 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 unnecessary. There's no need for. It. You know, I, I again, I understand they want to pack the seats and the NCAA greedy for every buck and every dollar for that atmosphere, but it's like at what cost? Not to mention, it's it's a it's a it's a I, at least I think it's a big time safety hazard for the players. Big time safety hazard. Big time. You know, and 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 what? And and listen, there's only you know, you can you can count on uh, you can count on two hands how many indoor NFL stadiums there are across the country. What you got? You got you got. Uh, well, let's just let's just go down the list. Let's start with the uh, you know. A, is there any in the AFC? Is there any in the AFC East? No. AFC North? No. AFC South? Yes. What? Tennessee, what, uh, Houston, Houston, Indianapolis, uh, and Houston and Indianapolis, that's two. The AFC West, any in the AFC West, if you want to count SoFi, SoFi number three. Uh, you want to go to the, uh, you want to go to the AFC, you want to go to the AFC East, Dallas, which is four. You want to go to the AFC North, Minnesota with the Vikings and Detroit, that's five and six. You want to go, let's see, the NFC South, New Orleans, Atlanta, and uh, New Orleans and Atlanta, that's eight. You want to, then of course the NFC West, so far of course we already counted that, Uh, Arizona, that's nine. Is there any other ones I'm forgetting? I don't think so. The two in, you got the two in Texas, Atlanta, New Orleans, Detroit, Minnesota, Glendale, SoFi. Am I forgetting any ones? I think I got all of them. It's eight. Eight. So what? So it's, so, you know, every venue, and did I say Indianapolis? If I did, if I did say Indianapolis, Indianapolis is nine. But what? Rotate every eight, every eighth venue. You know, just go down and listen, okay, Indianapolis, Atlanta, da, 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 da. I mean, just keep, you just keep rotating over and over and over again. I mean, doesn't that at a certain point get to be a little bit monotonous? 
You know, that's like, you know what it's like? That's like the Super Bowl, you know, every eight years. Every eight years it's in the same location. So, you know, so it was in SoFi this year, which means eight years from now in twenty in 2030, it'll be back at SoFi again. You know, you got to make sure you get everybody involved when you want to put these when you want to put these events at the when these neutral sites you know whether it be the final four the national championship game for college uh, football the super you want to make sure you get everybody involved and you always limit to just those eight places I, and listen and and why somebody in the NCAA says listen I understand we won't get a pack we won't have 60 won't you know have football sized crowds at these games but it's the nature of the sport it's it's basketball it's meant to have like that small Intimate environment, you know, football, football, baseball is a little different. It's basketball, hockey, those indoor winter sports. It's meant to have that that up close and personal, intimate fan environment like that. And why didn't somebody in NCAA say, "Hey guys, what are we doing?" I mean, I, I understand, you know, not every, you know, you want to put the. I understand. Do we want a, the Final Four to be held in, say, I don't know, Phoenix? At the at uh, you know where the Suns play at the Footprint Center, no. But take a page out of the women's book. Now I understand the women's are doing it because if they put their Final Four in an NBA arena, you know it'll look better on TV. They'll sell more tickets. It's better financially for them to put an NBA to put their final the women's Final Four in the NBA arena than say a uh, than say you know U.S. Bank Stadium and it's like seventeen percent capacity. But it's like, but hopefully, and I said it to Joy Taylor on Twitter Spaces that if when the, when women's basketball, women's college basketball gets to the point where it's up there with the men's as far as revenue and popularity is concerned, I hope the NCAA doesn't make the, doesn't make the same mistake because it's just such a watch watch on Sunday on Sunday night for the national championship game. Watch how much of just a better optic look it is coming across on television. Watching the Final Four being played in a built-for-basketball uh, um, building in, in a in a basketball NBA arena, this is going to look so much better than Superdome, where Ernie, Ernie, Kenny, uh, Clark Kellogg, and, and Chuck are sitting essentially at the are sitting essentially in the. Uh, at the Saints end zone, while the while and the court is essentially you know fifty yards away from them, you know on, sitting on that little three foot stage contraption, it's just gonna it's such a better it's such a better look with the funky looking scores table and the players sitting below the the, the court floor. It's just it's such it's gonna be such a much better look, and it's, it's just gonna drive it's gonna drive me crazy. I mean the the NCAA we can't put the Final Four in Madison Square Garden. I mean, about more than half, more than half of these college players are dying to get to the NBA anyway. You, you, you know, we we play uh, we play the tournament games in NBA arenas. We put the Big Ten champion, we put the Big Ten uh, conference tournament in in Chicago at the United Center. We put it at at the Field House where the Pacers play in Indianapolis. You know, we we uh, I mean, come on. We put these we put conference tournament games all over the place uh, in NBA arenas all over the country. We can't put the Final Four there too. Why why can't why can't we have the final, why can't we have the Final Four at Madison Square Garden? 
one one of the most historic and unique venues, and not just sports, but in, in sports and in entertainment in this country. Fights, uh, classic classic boxing matches, concerts, uh, classic NBA finals, NBA playoff games, Stanley Cup playoffs, Stanley Cup uh, finals games, Madison Square Garden. One of the one of the oldest yet historic venues in sports and in entertainment. We we can't and it's New York City. You, you can't you can't put the Final Four in the Big Apple, or put it. I understand don't call it anymore. Don't call it that anymore. It's the Crypto.com nonsense. But you you can't put the Final Four in Southern California at uh formerly known as Staples, where Kobe and Shaq played. That's as much. That's as much. It's a, obviously a much a, a lot younger than Madison Square Garden, but it's it's still just as much as a historic venue. You, you can't put the NBA Finals there. I mean, come on. Those, those venues like those, at least those two, Madison Square Garden and uh, and Staples. Those those are two venues that should have that 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 should that should that should be able to host the Final Four. You know, and not essentially, you know, oh yeah, the Final Four is coming to Southern California. We're gonna put we're gonna stick it in SoFi. I mean, no, 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 no. Come on, Kobe played in that building. Kobe and Shaq, come on, historic venue. Michael Jackson, come on. And again, I'm not. I'm not saying you know sticking NBA. I'm not saying you know uh, to, to to put NBA Finals games in Phoenix. But those are two. I understand they're not indoor NFL stadiums. But those are two big time historic arenas. And and, and the two biggest state in the two biggest cities of America. What's any bigger than downtown Los Angeles and, and smack dab in the middle of Manhattan in New York City? Hell, you put the you put the NIT and the uh, and the uh, and the Big E and the and the Big East tournament in Madison Square Garden. What it's it's good the, we can put the NIT and the uh, and the Big East tournament in Madison Square Garden, but we can't put the NBA Finals there. Anyway. But wasted 30 minutes moaning and groaning and haven't even gotten to the Final Four yet. But I will take a break back after this. Now that I got those things off my chest, let's talk some basketball. That's Villanova in Kansas, the game that's first up. Uh, this is going to be Kansas' favorite minus four over under number 133.5 for those of you betting minds uh, at home. Excuse me. Villanova Wildcats coming in at thirty and seven, the two seed, uh, coming out of their respective bracket. The Rock Chalk Jayhawks, the only lone remaining one seed participating in the Final Four at thirty-two and six. Uh, you got uh, o- o- I don't know how the hell you pronounce his name, Ajabadi, whatever his name is, uh, averaging at nearly nineteen points a game for Kansas. Uh, and their leading rebounder Wilson averaging seven and a half total rebounds a game. Uh, Gillespie of Villanova averaging fifteen points a game, uh, and they are going to um, 
uh, with uh, Gillespie, their guard averaging 15, 3, and 3 in the game, or excuse me, this season for Villanova. Uh, you just take a look at what Villanova, of course, coming off of their victory in the Elite Eight last Saturday against Houston, where their offense, where their where offense was uh, was was rough and scoring was absolutely uh, hard to come by in the game. Uh, but Villanova was uh, was able to make their free throws, and like I said earlier in the week, and I'll say it here again, making your free throws uh, is is vital in the NCAA tournament. Uh, when it comes to leaving, when it comes to leaving points on the board, if you leave points at, on the board on the table, uh, um, leaving your point, leaving points on the table, and missing your free throws, it doesn't matter how well you shoot, how well you shoot uh, that particular night. You're rebounding, your second chance points. If you leave points on the table at the free throw line. Uh, in this tournament, especially when you get into Sweet 16, Elite 8, and now here at the Final Four and come Monday night, the National Championship game is going to be a recipe for disaster. Uh, they're going to miss Justin Moore big time, who tours the Achilles last uh, Saturday night against uh, against the Houston Cougars. He is a vital part of their offense. Villanova is not a very deep team. They run a rotation of the same five, six guys. And Jay Wright says, okay, have at it. It's you five, six guys. You guys have to go out there and find a way to get the job done. And I think in the end, the lack of depth and the fact that they are, and the fact that, you know, they could, now I don't want to say get tight, but the fact that they could run tired and, and they're, uh, and they're, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Stamina could run thin, having to run on all fumes and feeling the need to overcompensate for uh, Justin Moore not being there. I think that it could uh, come back to bite Villanova in the ass and and could uh, and could open up the floodgates for uh, could open up the floodgates for Kansas, who did a phenomenal job on Sunday and uh, their in their Elite Eight game uh, last week on Sunday afternoon. But you know, Villanova is not going to beat themselves. They're not going to beat themselves. They are a fundamentally sound, well-rounded, and well-coached basketball team. They're going to make their free throws, but but you know you just wonder if the Justin Moore Achilles injury will be too much to bear for Villanova. We'll have to wait and see on that. As for Kansas, you know they did a fantastic job when they went on that phenomenal run against uh, against Miami on Sunday afternoon where every shot that seems like that they took in the second half uh, seemed to go in. Remember, they went into the halftime break behind and down six points, 35-29 at the half on Sunday against Miami, and they went out there in the second half and punched Miami in the face by the by the uh, by outscoring them forty-seven to fifteen in the second half. Ended up winning the game seventy-six to fifty. To refresh your to refresh your memory, they shot fifty percent from the field. Uh, shot fifty percent from the field, thirty-five percent from the from the uh, from beyond the arc, only fifty percent from the free throw line. Miami did a better job at the free throw line, and Kansas did nine of thirteen compared to Kansas thirteen of twenty-six. Um, they uh, they scored they scored fourteen points off of uh, they scored fourteen points off of Miami's fourteen turnovers. Um, 
And they out and they outgained Miami in fast break point seventeen to ten. I tell you though, you know, Villanova again, they're gonna make their free throws. And if Kansas goes Kansas cannot expect to win the game. Having said all what I said about Villanova, Kansas cannot expect to win this to win this game uh tonight, shooting fifty fifty percent from the field. It's just it's not gonna happen. Recipe for disaster. You cannot, against this team that's that well coached and that fundamentally sound, and they don't beat themselves is one of the main reasons why they do not beat. In order to beat Villanova, you're going to have to play better than them. Villanova isn't going to beat Villanova. Kansas is going to have to beat Villanova. And, you know, if they go out there and get to the free throw line 25, 30 times and only make 50% of the free throws and they keep Villanova close and keep them in the game, would don't be surprised if Villanova is playing in the national championship game. That's item number one. Item number two, as far as game number two is concerned, between Duke and North between uh between Duke and North Carolina. Listen, when a when these two teams matched up against each other um, on Saturday March uh, on Saturday March the fifth about a little about a month ago at Coach K's final game at Cameron Indoor. Uh, you saw Duke, you know, they got outscored 55-40 to 40 in the second half. Uh, Baycott, the, Baycott had a phenomenal game, scored 23 points, 10 of 11 from the field, could do no wrong uh, on, uh, seven, on seven rebounds, uh, went three of four from the stripe. Uh, Brady Manick, their, their uh, unique high-flying powering forward, 20 points, 11 boards on that night, three rebounds, 7 to 16 from the field, shot 50% from three, made five three-pointers in the game, did a fantastic job. R.J. Davis, their guard, 21 points, loved their other guards, dropped 22, 5 and 5, that's rebounds and assists, that is, in 38 minutes of play. Uh, and they just and they, and in the second half they just turned it on and overwhelmed the Duke where they couldn't get a stop. You know their their offense caught fire. Uh, they did a fantastic job as a team uh, out rebounding uh, Duke thirty seven rebounds to Duke's thirty four. Uh, they crashed the glass, especially with defensive rebounds out rebounding Duke by three twenty eight to twenty five. Uh, the, and North Carolina did a fantastic job getting points off for turnovers. Duke turned over the foot, turn over the football, turned over the basketball nine times on that March fifth on that March fifth evening. And uh, North Carolina ended up gaining ten points off of Duke's nine rebounds, while North Carolina turned over the basketball five times. Duke only got two points off of uh, North Carolina's five uh, five turnovers. And I'll be at Duke. Uh, did better fast breaks points twenty to fourteen. It wasn't enough to overcome North Carolina on that afternoon, or excuse me, that evening in early March on uh, on March the fifth. And also, again, like I with the free throws, North Carolina shot eighty six percent from the free throw line. Duke only got to the free only got to the foul line eight times and shot seventy five percent from the foul line. So keep an eye out on that as we fast forward all the way to what to April second, the national championship game with uh, with Villanova with uh, with North Carolina Duke. This is the rubber match. North Carolina beat Duke at Cameron Indoor, of course, at Coach Kate's final game. Duke beat North Carolina at uh, at Chapel Hill uh, earlier in the uh, in the season. The first matchup between these t- between these two teams. 
It's going to be one. Uh, it's going to be a hell of an. It's going, I expect it to be one of the one of the best. Has potential to be one of the best, greatest college basketball games of all time. Hopefully, it lives up to the hype, down to the wire. You know, you get, we, it's funny because I sent a tweet out last weekend saying, you know, we haven't had. You know, it's been a decent tournament. All things being considered, some good games we have yet to have a buzzer beat a game winning buzzer beater. You know, here in the tournament, and I tweeted, you know, will we get one Sweet 16 Elite Eight weekend, yes or no? Eighty, I think about 81-ish percent said no. We ended up not getting ones with the two games on Sunday being complete uh, blowouts. Hopefully in the Final Four, you know, I, I hope especially out of the two, we get, the two that we have, I pray to God that the second one, the second one, Ends up, uh, ends up, be, ends up in a in a game winning buzzer beater. I, I'm rooting for Duke to win. I, I'm I'm rooting for Duke to win. Coach K hold nine yards, get the revenge against North Carolina. Nice little story, but I like to see Coach K go out on top. But even if North Carolina does win, you know, give me an R.J. Davis, uh, an R.J. Davis game winning step back three buzzer beater to send Coach K into retirement. I, I if I ask for anything else. God, give me North Carolina Duke coming down to a game-winning buzzer beater tonight. That's all I. That's all I ask for. If Duke ends up losing, but I get a buzzer beater anyway, I'll take it. But a but a game of this magnitude, of this much hype, with it being the last time Coach K goes up against North Carolina in the aftermath of what took place at Cameron Indoor a month ago, at the Final Four now. First time in the in the in the history of this rivalry in the Final Four, I, I pray, I pray that this game comes down to the final shot. But you know, North Carolina's got dogs. They got Brady. They got Brady Manic, who's a dog. R.J. Davis, who's a dog. Uh, Baycott, who's a dog. Uh, did a phenomenal job, of course, last uh, last Sunday, just beating the living hell out of St. Peter's, which we discussed earlier in the week. Uh, did a phenomenal job uh, rallying around each other without Brady Mack. Of course, that asinine uh, flagrant two that got him kicked out of the game against Baylor two Saturdays ago, uh, which we discussed, which we discussed in weeks past. Uh, they did a phenomenal job rallying around each other, and, and although they blew a, a twenty-point lead against Baylor, they were able to hang on and and beat the defending and the beat the defending champs in the second round. Uh, and then of course, Duke. You know, you got Pablo Panchero. I mean, just a phenomenal job that that team has done. Uh, that young team with Panchero, uh, with Panchero, with um, with uh, with a with AJ with AJ Griffin, Wendell Moore. I mean, just a phenomenal job from from uh, from top to bottom uh, with that this Duke team has done in the aftermath, dealing with the pressure, with it being Coach K's final run, and they're young and they're a uh, young and inexperienced team. But give Banchero the Ford a ton of credit, Griffin. Moore Jr. also Roach their their guard. Give every single one of those guys uh, for Duke phenomenal credit for the job that they've done throughout this NCAA tournament. They play, you know, do the way I see with North Carolina is that their best players, you know, they just turn on, they just take it all, they just take over the game. You know, if there's not one, pl- you know, it's 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 the, it's that one, it's the one two great players that they have. They turn on the on switch and it just dominates you. North Carolina, it's more spread the wealth, get everybody involved, collective unit, 
and once and, and once the momentum builds and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows, then like a tsunami, we just take over you and we overwhelm you all at once with not one or two particular uh, players throughout our starting five. We just collectively just take over, just take over and overwhelm overwhelm the opponent. And and you know their shots go in. They're making their free throws. They're getting to the free throw line, playing great defense, and all of a sudden it's like, you know. We we were in this game. Duke didn't have an answer, and all of a sudden they're clicking on all cylinders. We saw it in the Michigan State game. We saw it uh, again. We saw it against uh, against Arkansas last Saturday. We saw it against. Uh, we all, we also saw it against. Um, who did they play in the? Uh, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, they pl- who did they play in the? Um, in the, uh, the Sweet Sixteen on Thursday. Um, Texas Tech, you know, we've seen it throughout them in this run where where start they might start out slow, they might start out sluggish, they might, you know, uh, you take them a, take them a, a a good old fashioned early Coach K timeout and cuss out for them to get their heads on straight. But once they're on, they're on, and and you got and you got to be able to hang with them, outscore them, out rebound them, and out and out shoot them at the free throw line in order to beat them, you know, so. And if you and if you're North Carolina, you put the pressure on them early and often. You make them play from a deficit as long as you possibly can, and you let that pressure of it being his final game. And holy crap, is he about to lose in North Carolina? You let, the longer you let that feeling linger on that sideline and within that young team, the better off you're going to be. Also, you got to keep in mind that Duke may be tight coming out of this game. Young team, Coach K's final four, final season, final matchup up against North Carolina, the robbery, this, that, you know, the, the the packed house of the Superdome. I mean, you wonder if if all of a sudden it's going to get to their heads. It's going to be like, oh, holy crap! It, it, it's the fi- it's the freaking final four, and they, you know, and it might get and they might get tight, might get sloppy, and the game will get away from them. Keep an eye out. Uh, on that, from a Duke perspective, and then North Carolina on the flip side, you know they they're playing with house money. They already they already spoiled Coach K's one party in his final game at Cameron Indoor in early March. It would be nothing better for a North Car- for the for the, for a member on the team, Hubert Davis, Roy Williams, the member of the student body, or North Carolina alumni, or or North Carolina Tar Heel basketball fan. Than to then to knock off uh, then to knock off uh, Coach K and Duke sending sending him into a sending him into retirement knocking him off uh, in his final final four game against his hated rival North Carolina and beating him back to back to close out his uh, his forty second and final season with Duke and to advance to a national championship game with a first year head coach and Hubert Davis who's done a fantastic job. So I honestly anticipate Duke, or excuse me, North Carolina coming out there loose, loose, loose as a uh, you know loose, loose as an oversized bracelet. All systems go, no pressure on them. They play their game and enforce their will on on Duke. And we'll, be, and we'll see, and we'll see if Duke will be able to uh, to have a good rebuttal punch back in return. See if if Duke and North Carolina are going to trade blows, or if North Carolina is just going to dominate the hell out of Duke the whole night. 
I anticipated it being a back and back and forth affair, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's a moment, you know, midway through the first half where Duke's sitting there down ten or fifteen points because because they because they can't because they can't make a shot. Meanwhile, North every single time North Carolina's putting the ball in the hoop, it it, it goes it goes in. Bad, you know, they take bad jump shots and they miraculously go in. So I am really looking forward to that game as well. You want a prediction? Kansas Duke National Championship game. Let's get it. Take a break. We turn our attention to the National Football League. The gift that keeps on giving the NFL offseason. The I'm Telica TIS podcast. Welcome back to the Amatelakitiaiz podcast. Well, it's the gift that keeps on giving, and that's the NFL offseason, which is kind of, uh, at least we would imagine for now, has uh, went to bed and has stayed and has uh, stayed quiet for foreseeable future. Out, you know, until draft, until the draft comes around, it'll be. It'll be NFL. It'll be NFL uh, draft heavy in late in late uh, April. But we got literally to the end of the to the end of this month to worry about it. But uh, it'll you know it'll be quiet. You know it was of course busy with in Feb. It was of course busy in February. At least the the first part of the first uh, in the back end of February with the Super Bowl and then the combine. March came, then you had the free agency and and the trades and everything. April's now here. It's gonna be quiet for for about three for about three week period. Get noisy with the draft, and then once the draft is over, unless something unforeseen happens, well, yeah, no, well, the draft, and then it'll be then it'll make a little bit of noise with the schedule, which everybody gets into in early mid May, and then then. After mid-May, so the back end of the month of May, all through June and all through July, it'll be, especially in June, you know, the NFL, at least you would imagine, will be off the face of the earth and everybody's attention will be won the NBA Finals, and if you're a uh, and if you're a baseball fan, you got your favorite uh, baseball team. If you're a hockey fan, you got the Stanley Cup playoffs and the Stanley Cup Finals. But, um, but the NFL, for, you know, for them, you got the draft, release the draft the releasing of the uh of the schedule and then the NFL says goodnight uh for the most part until August which we got about which we got 4 months until August comes around and everybody you know starts getting that football itch again and all of a sudden count down to week 1 but 
There's some news that transpired over the last couple of days, uh, and that is the fact that the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Bruce Arians decided to uh, decided to retire and take a role in the front office, retire from head coaching, and give the job to uh, Todd Bowles, who is now the new uh, who is now the new head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. People have people have been saying there's been rumors. You know, is it about the was is, is it that Brady and Bruce hated each other? Uh, which is a narrative that's really get that's really been pushed around. Has really been. Uh, told which I don't, which I don't hold it to have a lot of truth to it. You know, did did uh, did Bruce and um, and Tom, you know, were there moments where they got sick of each other, where Tom, you know, treated Tom like everybody else, you know, and uh, and 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 Tom either didn't like it and probably fired back again. But it's in it's the nature of the beast, you know. Not every. Not every head coach and uh, and uh, and uh, the quarterback, you know, are the are uh, lovey dovey, warm and fuzzy with each other. So you know, it is a business, and sometimes we work together with people. You get on each other's nerves, and and you have and you have cuss outs, and you you know get mad at each other, and this that. But it's the nature. It's the nature of the business, you know. If strictly business, there's no. Uh, personal feelings involved. If people, you know, if you don't take it personally, it's just on a professional, you know, the level of anger and critique is on a professional level. You know, it's how you do and keep it moving and you move on to the next thing. And I, you know, and I, I get the fact that not everybody, uh, that not everybody, uh, you know, or not everybody, but Tom and Bruce were where you know had moments of con- of contention and how there were moments where Tom wishes that his team that his teammates were coached like were coached by Belichick although he didn't want to necessarily get coached by Belichick anymore and I get that and I totally understand that but at the end of the day you know they they won a Super Bowl together they they won division together they won playoff games uh together you know he did. He if he had that much of an issue with Arians, he wouldn't have decided to go to Tampa in the first place when he first got there in 2020. You know, so you know it is what it is. Bruce is old. You know, Bruce was re- Bruce uh, was retired for a little bit, then came back, retired in the name of health issues. He's been around the game of football for a long, long, long time. Uh, and he's also a guy, God bless him, that is that's all for using his platform, using his position as a uh, as a uh, middle aged, damn near old white man. That's in the coaching. That's been in the coaching NFL circuit for decades. He's all about using that platform to to uh, to cycle in black head to cycle in uh, the, uh, the the black male black men. And uh, and women into the uh, into roles of into roles of coaching, which you saw with uh, with Tampa, that was especially highlighted and in the in, during their twenty twenty championship season, he had females on his coaching, he had women on his coaching staff, and of course his two uh, offensive and defensive coordinators, his two coordinators were bl- are of course black men, Todd Bowles, of now of course the new head coach, his D coordinator, and Byron Leftwich, uh, the old uh, Jacksonville Jaguar quarterback, who's been uh, Who's been Brady's uh, Josh McDaniels since he got to Tampa? Uh, is the off is the offensive coordinator? 
Right. He and Brady, of course, calling and calling the man behind the controls with the offense. So, God bless Bruce Arians for that. And if Bruce Arians in his heart of hearts was like, listen, I could stay another year. I could, you know, go ahead and, and, and win a second Super Bowl with Tom and find my way into the Hall of Fame and win, and add another. I don't. I can look up. Matter of fact, I'll look it up right here. What the hell? Look up and see how many rings he won as an assistant with the Steelers. Um, because I because I know that 2020 championship wasn't his first championship that he's ever won as an NFL uh, coach of any kind. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. What year did he win that with uh, with uh, the with um the uh, with the uh, Steelers? He so he was on the so he's an assistant coach. He was the and he was the wide receivers coach for the 05 Steeler team that beat the Seahawks, and he was the offensive coordinator for the 08 Steeler team. So he could have stayed and had an opportunity to win his fourth ring of his coaching career, his second as a head coach uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But he said, "You know what? I'm you know I'm 69. I'm 69 years of age. I'll be 70 come the second month of the season." I've coached around the, I've been coaching NFL or excuse me I've been coaching football period since 1975. I've been coaching in the NFL since 1989 with the Kansas City Chiefs, 96 with the Saints, 98 with the Colts, 2001 with the Browns, with the Steelers from 04 to 2011, uh 2012 when he took over for Chuck Pagano when he had cancer, 2013 of course with the Cardinals and now here since 2019, he could have said, you know what, you know, I've been around the block a little bit. I, let me see if I can chase and get that second ring, and then probably say goodnight either a year after the fact or 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 or, or see what he wants to do from there. But he said, you know what, you know, I'm about change. I'm about, you know, he he took he took it the heart and took it personally, of course, with the whole George Floyd, the whole George Floyd and Jacob Blake, the horrific tragedies that took place back in 2020, took it upon himself, said, hey, you know, I got power. I got a platform. I'm a public figure. I'm going to do what I'm going to do my part. And the in the and the walk of in the walk of life that I have at the job that I have the profession that I have with the platform that I'm gonna use I'm gonna use that to promote change and get more uh, and get more um, black uh, black head coaching candidates within the coaching circle to give more opportunities at the National Football League level to become head coaches. So he got his ring, he got his notoriety, coached time for a couple of seasons. So if he wants to say goodnight. I got no problems with him saying goodnight, and if and uh, if that's you know if that's the case, he said good, he said goodbye to give the Byron Leftwiches and the uh, and Todd Bowles of the world a, a chance, and in Todd Bowles' case, a second chance. And God bless him for it. I totally completely applaud, and uh, and a shout out and and a thank you to Bruce Arians for doing so. Because listen, that's what that's what it's about, man. That's what it's about. You need the you need the white coaches, especially the ones that have been around the block a little bit, got some experience, that has some cachet, that have those that 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 network well, that have those connections to get the to 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 get the 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 um the the aspiring black coaches within the sport um to allow them to get themselves an opportunity. Which and I applaud Bruce Aarons for doing that a hundred and a hundred and twenty percent. You know, um, and and the women too. You know, not not to shake that away the women too, but of course with the National Football League, 
on the fact that the league is 70, 75%, you know, filled with black players, it's all the more important that, you know, that we get players within the, get players within the sport that, uh, that look like and come from the same walks of life of the, of the, uh, of that of the players that make the league, uh, that make the, the, that make the National Football League what it is today in 2022 but again do i you know do i was bruce and Tom's relationship fuzzy and warm and fuzzy all the time no but what head coach and what quarterback relationship is warm and fuzzy all the time especially the ones that are successful and they win all the time you know and maybe it's just the case maybe if it maybe if it was the fact that tom didn't want to play for bruce aarons anymore maybe it was the fact that you know, sometimes, sometimes two people are better off as as uh, as as tight knit buddies, as tight knit close friends. You know, away from work and away from business, than they are working together. You know, sometimes, sometimes that happens. Sometimes you're better. Sometimes, if when two people are in the same work environment, they may not gel together professionally, working with each other as they do. Outside of the workplace, at on on a more personal, friendlier level, that could also be the case too. Bruce Aarons and Tom Brady are you know are probably uh, be- better friends and got along better as friends as they did quarterback and head coach. And I'm not saying that that's the case, but that could definitely be a possibility. You know, Bell. You know, Brady, Brady, and the, Brady. As much as love Bruce Aarons, Brady would probably. Rather played for, and of course he did. He played for him for damn near twenty years. Played for, uh, played for the goat and 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 the, and the great perfectionist in Belichick. But he'd rather get a drink with at the bar after the game, or spend a holiday, or spend a weekend during the off season with Reeves Arians than he would before Bill Belichick. And there's no slight and there's no negative between either. And again, that's this is just me pontificating. I don't know for sure, but I'm just you know I'm just saying. Brady is probably you know I'd rather if I want to win a hell of a bunch of Super Bowls and become a dynasty, I'll play for Belichick. But if I want somebody I want to kick back and have a couple of drinks with and laugh and and uh, and shoot the shit as us guys say, excuse my French, you know I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a co kicking with Bruce Arians. You know when Belichick isn't exactly my go-to when it comes to stuff like that, but I, but when it comes to strictly football, you know he's better he's better at it, and I'd rather play for him more than more than Arians. Although Bruce Arians got a special place in my heart because me and him are boys. Again, I don't know. I'm pontificating. I'm guessing, but if that's the case, there's no shame in that. There's some people that that you work better with, uh, that you work better with. Than uh, they than them being essentially you know personal friends outside of the workplace and then it's vice versa. It's vice versa. Bill Belichick probably isn't a ball of laughs and a ball of laughs and isn't you know going to be buddy buddy and hang out at Tom's crib for you know for a barbecue in the middle of June. But Bruce Arians is. Bill Belichick's got seven Super Bowls. Bruce Arians only has one. So, you know, for for you know, it's the yin, it's the yin and the yang. But as far as Todd Bowles is concerned, Todd Bowles has no excuses. I'm glad and I'm thrilled that he has that he has a that he's gotten a second chance. He's got an opportunity. That he's got Tom Brady instead of Ryan Fitzpatrick. But if if this doesn't work out here, if but if this doesn't work out, 
with Tampa, and with, I understand that the roster isn't as great and isn't as good as it was last year in 2020. But if if if, if they crash and burn and go seven and ten or eight and nine or nine and eight and make and and, and fail to make the playoffs or fail to win their division, you know, they, they, Todd Todd Bowles Todd Bowles can 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 say goodbye. Well, you, well, you have Tom Brady. Tom Brady, you gotta at least get to the you gotta at least get to the second round of the playoffs. You got to. No reason, no excuse why Tampa should not be playing divisional round weekend come January of twenty twenty three. There'll be no excuses, no excuses for it. None. They have to. And anything less than that and another division title season is a failure. I'm not saying Super Bowl, but they gotta win a division, win double digit games, and and at least have and at least be playing uh divisional round weekend. If they're playing it at home, it'd be an added bonus. But Todd Bowles gets a second chance, God bless him. Just hope hope and pray for for his sake that he doesn't screw it up this time. Uh, and as for Bobby Wagner, he is a Los Angeles Ram, signing a big fat contract earlier in the week. Uh, you know, it's funny how these teams, you know, get to maneuver the cap and get to maneuver these contracts to avoid, uh, to avoid going over the cap limit. But somehow, some way, uh, Sneed, the GM for the Rams and that organization, find a way to still get bigger and still bulk up their roster, trying to quote unquote run it back. You know, they are they are going. You know, no Von Miller. Do you know no Von Miller? Robert Woods is gone. Uh, uh, Andrew Whitworth retired, so there are some depleted areas up and up and along that roster. But having Von Miller on that defense, excuse me, having Bobby Wagner to essentially replace Von Miller to add that second, uh, to have that second uh, defensive threat along Aaron Donald, not a bad uh, number two to have, uh, if you ask me. But the rich get richer. Bobby Wagner, of course, voices frustration and. And, and voiced how upset he was and how shocked he was of how the Seahawks handled uh, his releasement. Uh, so it looks like he obviously took it personally, wants to see how the other half lives, flies, uh, stays within the division, but goes south to Los Angeles to go up against Seattle two times a year. Uh, did not join, and Russell Wilson, you know, in the Broncos, when he first got released, made a sales pitch to him, see if he could reunite with Russell and play with him over in Denver. There was rumors also that he was that he could come here to Baltimore and become a member of the Baltimore Ravens along their defense, kind of fill the shoes that really haven't been filled since Ray Lewis retired as their big, bad, uh, feared, feared linebacker. That's the field general that a, that opposing quarterbacks are 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 you know having cold sweats in the middle of the night uh, uh, thinking of staying up till the wee hours in the morning thinking about but he decided to stay within the division and go to the uh, Los Angeles Rams and the defending <clears throat> Super Bowl champions take a break get to the Grom and shirts to close out the program the Amitaka tell you podcast Yeah. 
Know you make me smile. Go ahead, child. Welcome back to the Yamatelica TIS podcast. Just a quick uh, items of housekeeping before we kick off this final segment. Um, let next weekend show early early next week. We of course will uh, recap the national uh, recap the national championship game and put a bow on the final four and and the 2021-2022 NCAA men's division one basketball season as we close the book on college basketball we open up the book on the baseball season uh and uh, of course ex- expect for my uh to for me to give out my 2022 mlb season predictions i give a couple of tidbits and uh, comment and provide my commentary as we head into the 2022 MLB season that will begin next Thursday on April the 7th for some teams and everybody and their mother will be playing come Friday April the 8th so look out for that next week's uh, in next week's uh, list of programming and uh, also get back into the, we've ignored the NBA for about a month. We'll get into the NBA as they are coming down the home stretch of their 2021-2022 uh, regular season with the playing tournament coming in mid in uh, in mid April, and the, it'll be playoff time come the back end of the month of April. So be on the lookout for that. Get back into the NBA as far as them being an item of conversation along this program, and then of course uh, we'll just talk NBA. Uh, find an NBA something for me to harp on with the NBA recap. Of course, the national championship game tie a bow on the net on the college basketball season, and of course, uh, give you my season predictions for the 2022 MLB season. That to look out for in next week's program and programming coming down the line in the month of. April. But speaking of baseball, we got two items as far as baseball and in particular the New York Mets before we say goodbye. And that is the fact that New York Mets ace starting pitcher, uh, that of uh, Jacob deGrom, will miss his opening day start after an MRI uh, revealed that he has a stress reaction in his right scapula. Uh, and there's no timetable for his return. He expected to be shut down from throwing for about four weeks, so essentially the next month before being reassessed. And the uh, and the optimistic estimate would for him to come back around sometime in early June. You know, with the, like like I said at the beginning of the program as a throwaway, but I'll say it here again: the poor Mets can't catch a damn break. It doesn't matter if it's change in ownership. They go out there and they spend the free agency. They go out there and they give Lindor a fortune, Scherzer a fortune. They got uh, they got Degrom in their rotation. They got Buck Showalter, who's one of the greatest yet most snake bitten managers uh, in Major League Baseball history within the last twenty five thirty years. And 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 the and the, and the poor New York freaking Mets can't catch a break. He's gonna I'm going to be out four weeks. And you and you won't see him till probably probably in my estimation as of right now won't see him till around Father's Day. So right out of the gate, he's gone the first right out of the gate, he's gone the first two months of the season. 
Poor Mets can't catch a break. And Jacob DeGrom himself can't catch a break either. I mean, for for I mean, one healthy, he's one healthy. You're gonna it's gonna hard for you to find me a pit a, a pitcher that's as good as Jacob Degrom is when he's healthy, when he's healthy. But and and that and that's the long and that's the long caveat when he's healthy, because every single time you turn around, he he's always 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 got something wrong with him, always. Every time you turn around, you know whether it's his elbow, it's his shoulder. Every time you turn around, Jacob DeGrom, Jacob Degrom's got an injury. I'm not talking about he knows he's got a blister or he's got a, or he's got he's got a little something, you know, tightness in his legs, you know, so a little, little minor injury that you know that he misses a couple of weeks for and he's back. It's always inj- It's always the chronic injuries dealing with his elbow, his sh- his shoulder, rotate. It's all. It's always something. Matter of fact, let me. Matter of fact, why don't I look up the uh, Grom's injury history? Beca- because you know it's just, and it's a shame because a player of of his uh, of of his magnitude that play that plays in New York that's a that again healthy best pitcher in all the baseball. Nobody can, damn it, nobody can hit it off of him. And every single time we turn around, he he, he he's always got something. You know, let's just go down. Go down the list. Hyperextended right elbow in 2018, hip injury in 2019, and the in the 60 game shortened 2020 season had back tightness, neck injury, hamstring, all in the same season. In May of 2021, had an had his side of his body was bothering him. Uh, his side his, his body was bothering him in early May. Elbow in June of uh, in June of last season, shoulder injury that bothered him. Uh, uh, June of last season, the right side when he when his right side was bothering him in May, he was shut down on a ten day on a ten day injury list. When he hyperextended his right elbow in twenty eighteen of May, ten day injured list. Hurt his shoulder, hit or hurt his elbow June of twenty twenty one, and then a couple of days later it was his shoulder that was bothering him. Then his foot, then his forearm in uh, July of 2021 on the six on the 60-day uh, injured list. I mean, for a guy that's about as unhittable and as dominant as any pitcher in baseball, he he ne- he never plays, never plays. He's always, 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 always injured. He's always injured. I I, I, I just read you the injury history. Always injured. And now it's it's an issue with the shoulder. And you won't see him till mid June. Listen, I understand that he that it's not like that he that he loves the fact that he isn't out there playing, and that he isn't out there giving it his all and showcasing his skills to the masses of the sport. But at some point, if you're Jacob Degrom, you got to look yourself in the mirror and say, "What the hell am I doing wrong? Why in the he's as skinny as a damn rail? Why in the hell am I getting am I getting all of these 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 these, these chronic injuries all of a sudden?" And again, it's never an issue of of well of like I'm about to read with Scherzer here in a minute, where he's got a ha- where his hamstring is tight, his calf is tight. You know, it's it's a problem with his legs. You know, with 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 mu- muscles issues in in his legs, or you know, he's got blisters or he's got blisters on his hands, or it was a freak injury where the ball came back to him on the mound and hit him in the hand and hit him in the forearm and broke a bone or. 
or he, or he or he was heading and he got or he got hit in the hand and bro- and he broke his hand or or fouled a pitch off his foot and he broke his toe or or he got a fastball got him flush right on his ankle but nothing ever that it's always the, you know his, his issues with his side his forearm his elbow his shoulder always and again I understand that you know. He hates probably being out and not being able to pitch, and it probably bothered him down there in Port St. Lucie when he was told that he couldn't uh, pitch on opening day. But it's like, at some point, you're a professional athlete. You got to take care. I don't know what the hell he's doing, but you got to take care of your body better. Because you cannot. The, the dude is, how old is is, uh, is is the ground? Born in 1988. So you do it again. I'm not a big time math guy, so pardon me for having to go having to go to the uh, the uh, handy dandy calculator here. You people are at home are probably screaming and yelling his age right now. Listen to this, but you know Jacob Degrom, he's 33 years of age. In twenty in twenty eighteen, he just in an injury's got in twenty eighteen. He just turned thirty. He's on the good side of his thirties. 30, 31, 32, 33 years of age. And start, so it's only until you get to about 34, 35, 36, start to get flirt with danger zone. But my God, man, you you play you play a position where where you, where you last a long time. Where you got where where you where you pitch in some capacity well into your forties, whether it be Nolan Ryan, John Smoltz, I mean you name it, you play a Bartolo Colon pitch well into his forties. Mariano Rivera, the same thing. I understand Mariano's a reliever, but you get the idea. You play a position where. You know, you may not be able to throw as hard and as fast as you did in your twenties, but as long as you got good command and you're able to get guys out, pitcher, you know, pitcher, you're you're around the block a little bit after your thirty fifth birthday. And here it is; he's thirty three, and he's got a long ass rap sheet of, of injuries. Shape the ground's got to look himself in the mirror sometime and, and and either say am i is it because am i training wrong am I, am I am i training wrong am i is my throwing motion off is my throwing motion uh do i got too fond of a throwing motion am i not being you know taught mechanically how to how to flick my wrist and and my arm motion with and my shoulder with throwing a baseball pro- something something because this is just freaking ridiculous. Every single season, there's something wrong with them. I understand. Listen, I guarantee you, he don't like being injured and missing opportunities to build his legacy and, 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 and pad his stats and help his team win. But, he, but he's got to look himself in the mirror and say, damn it. I'm getting paid too much money for me to to spend more time rehabbing than than than, than playing baseball games. Cuz this is a, this is ridiculous. You're a professional athlete worth millions, making millions. Your team needs you. Best ability is availability. And Jacob DeGrom damn near is never available. Which at the end of the day when it's all said and done, you want to talk about legacy and Hall of Fame, does he line up with the with the big bad pitchers, you know, comparing them to Tom Seaver and everybody else? That's 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 we got that's we got that's we have to uh, 
we we ha- have to uh, read the writing on the wall and, and see it for what it is. Because you got to be there every fifth day. And Jacob DeGrom rarely, few and far in between, is ever there. I understand he doesn't want to be injured or anything else, but I mean, when you're a professional athlete making millions, living the high life that he has, who 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 is one of the best players on his team, he he Lindor Scherzer top three best players on the team. Want to throw Alonzo in as number four? Have, uh, be my guess, but the Mets need him. In order to in order to win the division, in order to contend for the NL pennant to be a World Series contender, they need him in the worst way, and he's not available. Resort to the TV twelve stuff or something, man, because this is this this is just pure freaking insanity. And when it rains and pours for the Mets, shares are day to day with hamstring tightness. Not sure what he's going to pitch next. Next. Poor Buck Showalter. <laughs> in a position where he can finally get the monkey on his back and po- and probably, you know, win his first World Series championship in the same city in which his MLB managerial career began, and already his 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 uh, his two uh, his two um, his, uh, his 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 two biggest his two biggest most feared weapons are going to miss time before the before the season is even started. We'll see how the Mets handle it as they kick off their season uh, next uh, Thursday or so uh, in uh, Washington against the Nationals. We'll talk Mets and talk Major League Baseball and recap the National Championship game on next week's episode. And that brings us to a close of this week's episode. And this episode of the Amatella Cataliers podcast is in the books. If you like what you heard and you're new to the program, please do not hesitate to subscribe. If you haven't already, follow the show on Twitter at Amatella underscore Cataliers and the show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast. Follow yours truly on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. That is Josh Shield signing off. I will talk to you guys next week. Y'all stay safe. Take care. See ya.